Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Rabbi Abby Soslin. Today we are studying Masachet Kitubot Daf Ayin, page 70. Our new chapter, chapter 7, called Hamadir, begins with the question of vows that a husband might make on his wife. A husband who vows that his wife may not benefit from him for up to 30 days. He must set up a parnas, a steward, to support her. Now people make vows for all sorts of reasons. Maybe the husband's angry at his wife. Maybe he's praying for something and he says something rash. God, if you will only do this one thing, I vow the following. But before we even begin to jump into the Mishnah, it's probably useful for us to just remember the seriousness of a nadir in rabbinic law. The rabbis frown on the taking of vows. Shmuel in the next Masechet, Masechet Nidarim, says that even someone who actually fulfills his vow is called wicked. And Ravdimi refers to him as a chotea, a sinner. People do make a lot of vows, and there is plenty of Talmudic discussion to figure out what to do when it happens. Of course, the entire next Masechet will be on that subject. But our Gemara jumps right in on the very first line. Wait a second. Hamadir et ishto melehenotlo? Someone vows not to allow his wife to benefit him? But wait, isn't he obligated by his ketubah to support her? How could he forbid her from benefiting from him? Wouldn't that make this vow an impossible vow or a vow that has absolutely no legal force? And there's a Mishnah in Nadarim anyway that seems to prove that this kind of vow is inadmissible. Konam Konam is a word that begins a vow. If a woman vows not to work for her husband's benefit, he doesn't need to revoke that vow since that vow has no legal force. Since she is obligated to work for her husband's benefit, and as we have learned, one cannot make a vow against the law, he doesn't even need to take that vow into consideration. So here too, hachanami, since he is obligated to support her, how can he make this vow when that vow have no legal force either? The Gemara figures out a way that it could be legal. He could say to her, take your your earnings from your own work, and use them instead of the food that I am responsible to provide for you. So in this way, he would not leave her with nothing. Instead, he'd leave her with her own earnings. So it is a vow that could potentially be possible. 
Okay, the Gemara has to work out a couple of kinks here about a woman who vows. But then at the top of Amud Bet, nine lines down from the top of the page, the first line of the Mishnah continues to be a problem. Ihachi, okay, so if it's true that the husband is merely taking away her mizonot, her food, but is still letting her keep her own earnings, then parnas lamali, then why does she need a steward to support her? Maybe her earnings are not enough, bidilo sabka. But if they aren't enough, then we're back to the same problem. How can a husband stop supporting his wife? E bidilo sabka. Our original question returns. This is Talmudic back and forth. Shakla Vitaria. Fun, right? <laughs> and it continues on for the next many lines. Maybe her earnings are enough for basic food needs, but not enough for some of her extra needs. But if they're extra needs, then why does he need to give her a steward? But maybe she's used to these extra needs, and if she's used to them, then shouldn't he be responsible for them? Or, as the Gemara continues, maybe he made this vow when they were just engaged, but then he wouldn't be obligated to her. Or maybe he made it right before the chuppah, etc., etc. So I hope you'll forgive me, but let's jump ahead to the next question on the table, this Parnas issue. Ufarnas lav shlichuteha ka'avid? Isn't the steward just acting? As his agent, Shlichute Ka'avid, isn't he just basically having the Parnas do the very thing that he is forbidden to do for himself? How is that permissible? Amar Rav Huna Be'omer, Kol Hazan Eno Mafsid. According to Rav Huna, he is not actually making the steward support her. Instead, this is a case where the husband doesn't actually tell him to support the wife, but instead he just says, kol hazan, no mafsid. Anyone who feeds my wife will not lose. Ah, so the steward gets the hint and hears that it could be to his benefit to support the wife. Just a hint. But then the Gemara asks, But wait, if he says this, Isn't he still acting as an agent? But Rabbi Ami taught, If a fire breaks out on Shabbat, the rabbis permit someone to say, Huh, anyone who extinguishes this fire will not lose. So a classic case of what we would refer to today is potentially a Shabbos boy. A person is allowed to hint to a non-Jew in the case of a fire on Shabbat that he might want to put the fire out and he wouldn't necessarily lose from doing it. Now this specific hetter, this specific permission, is, seems to be coming to say that if it's not a fire, if it's, then it's not allowed to hint to someone to do something that you are otherwise not allowed to do. So then a man can't forbid himself from supporting his wife and then go hint to someone else to do it for him. The question goes back and forth. No, says the Gemara, this is only to exclude other Isurim de Shabbat. The Gemara is purposely saying that in a case of a fire, you're allowed to hint because you're not allowed to hint when it comes to other Shabbat prohibitions. Okay, after all of this, 
Shaklavataria, you might be asking yourself right now, wait a second, don't we always hear people hint like this? Gosh, it's Shabbat, but it's dark in here. And then all of a sudden, a non-Jew turns on the light or, ha, it is cold in here. And all of a sudden, a non-Jew turns up the heat. That seems to happen a lot in the Jewish community. And so we read this piece of Gemara with some questions. How could this be permitted? The kind of thing that I see in my synagogue where someone hints, oh, gee, it's so cold in here, seems to not be permitted according to this Gemara. But according to Halakha, if we look ahead in Jewish literature towards the Shulchan Aruch, and Maimonides' Mishnah Torah, there are a number of situations where a person may hint to someone else to do something that is otherwise forbidden to him, even to a non-Jew on Shabbat. So if the non-Jew is being paid by the job instead of per hour or for the day, or if the non-Jew is performing that work for himself and by his own volition, it is permissible. This is why you'll often hear people saying, oh gosh, it's dark in here to a non-Jew, so that the non-Jew will all of a sudden be inspired to want to turn on the light. Or if the situation is dire and if illness is involved, as in, I'm going to die because it's so hot in here, it is permissible for a non-Jew then to turn on the air conditioner. So in uh, this steward situation would probably be one of those. I have forbidden my wife from benefiting for me, but she does need the support of being fed and basic needs, so that might fall under that category. It's interesting, though, to think about these kinds of loopholes. As I record this, it is Erev Pesach, and I have been buying chametz from my community all week long so that I can sell it to a non-Jew for the week of Passover. Jewish life is filled with so many loopholes. And the chapter Hamadir starts with this very assertion. A man may make a vow for under 30 days, but he has to find someone else to support his wife. The loophole is essential to the law itself. And yet the loophole must be brought to examination and to debate nonetheless. So then I ask myself, why do some of these loopholes get voted over the top, far too problematic, and others are proven completely fine and absolutely permissible. Seems to me, through my understanding of rabbinic literature, that this principle is consistent. The rabbis are concerned with working through how and why any particular loophole works or any particular law in general. The shakla vitaria, the back and forth, the questions and answers, the taking and giving, is the point of the whole thing. If given every possible permutation of the argument, I can still come out defending the loophole, then let's go for it. It is the means, not the end, which matters for the rabbis. It is the rabbinic process which is key. You want a loophole to a vow, to a Shabbat prohibition, to throwing everything out on Pesach? Let's figure it out. Let's play out every single possible possibility and be certain that there is not even a window of doubt until, and then we can make it permissible. Some Jews find this upsetting. They tell me they're bothered by how many rabbinic loopholes there seem to be. This doesn't bother me. Instead, I find that the process of creating these loopholes and allowing them 
seems to be, for me, a work of rabbinic art. Sometimes mesmerizing, sometimes mystifying. It is the work of art that is the rabbinic system. Until tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.